Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, Randall Colburn here with my fellow loser, Rachel Reeves. Rachel, say hi. Hi, this is Rachel. Wrong number, Reeves. (laughs) So glad to have you here. Today, we're chatting with some special guests about R.L. Stein, Fear Street, and Lee Janiak's uh, new Netflix trilogy based on the books. Uh, And joining us are Lindsay Katai. Am I saying that right? It's Katai, but no worries. Uh, and uh, Kelly Nugent of the Teen Creeps podcast. Um, and before we talk about the pod and you guys' uh, experiences with Fear Street, um, I'm curious, like, this being a Stephen King podcast, if you are King fans yourselves. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very big. Yeah. When yeah, did you huge. guys get into King? Was it was Fear Street, like, a gateway for you? Yeah. I think, like, Point Horror and then also Christopher Pike was, like, first. Mm-hmm. And then it was... When I was like, I don't read baby books anymore. (laughs) I started reading uh, Stephen King. Yeah, pretty much the same for me. I read Christopher Pike and R.L. Stein and all the point horrors first, but I did see the TV movie for It. Nice. When I was about 10 and it truly scarred me. Um, (laughs) Really afraid of showers for quite a long time after that. Um, but then I think I finally read my first Stephen King book when I was in seventh or eighth grade. Do you remember what it was? Somehow. Oh, no. It was Firestarter. Nice. Nice. Yeah, which is still one of my favorites. Yeah, I'm excited for the remake that's coming out with uh, Mr. Zac Efron. Uh, I always pictured, you know, the lead of (laughs) Firestarter to be that hot. Yeah, he's playing the dad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Uh, Rachel, was Fear Street a gateway for you? Was Stein something you read when you were young? Oh, totally. So I, I grew up in a pretty conservative family, but conservative, not not politically, but conservative what they expose, you know, let us watch and mm-hmm. um, as far as movies and TV go, but books were a whole different thing. I could read whatever I wanted to. So Fear Street, I remember it so vividly. The first time I uh, saw a Fear Street book was uh, this girl, Kimberly, who lived across the street from us growing up. She was a few years older than me. Mm-hmm. So I, I was probably like, you know, eight or nine ish. And she was a super cool, like 12. And she had a shelf in her bedroom and it was yeah, lots of Christopher Pike and fear straight. And I, that's the first time I ever saw them. And so I would borrow them from her and just so cool. I remember just thinking all the time that it was just the coolest thing. And she was the coolest girl. Um, And that definitely led paved the way for Stephen King to come for sure. Yeah. Similar for me. I, I just remember, yeah, I want to talk about how we all got into Fear Street and stuff. But yeah, for me, it was 
there was one rack in the library that had all the teen horror stuff on it. And I used to just like flip by that whenever my mom took me to the library and just basically work my way through every book. And then eventually I went same library. It was like King one by one by one by one on the library. I was just so obsessed. Um, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, before we talk more about that, I would love to hear a little bit. I'd love our listeners to learn a little bit more about your guys's pod uh, about teen creeps. How did it start? And um, what are some of the recent books you've been covering? Well, it started, Kelly and I were taking an acting class together at a comedy theater. (laughs) And um, we, I liked her. We never really talked too extensively in the class or outside of class. But then I saw her posting about her uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast with her friend Ryan Mogi, Hellmouthy. And I'm pretty sure I just like very boldly was like I want to be on your podcast (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is bad manners very bad manners I mean like now it we know that to be bad manners but like at the time because it was like no one listened to it so it was like you and Colin J Morris separately emailed me being and you were the only two that were like please allow me to be on your podcast and yours was very um I felt like yours was like very polite and like very funny and you were just like, oh, I, I really like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I'd like to talk about it. And then I remember Colin J. Morris's was like 12 paragraphs about why he thought <laughs> Xander was a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, like it. so we met on that and then you and I were talking about how we really liked Christopher Pike growing up specifically I remember we were talking about Starlight Crystal because that book messed me up like existentially as a Uh child because it was you know there's a whole like she commits genocide accidentally time travel she like like, loops through time time. (laughs) yeah and then like she the hopelessness of like trying to save the one you love when like it's just not it's not fated to happen and Mm -hmm. And just, like, very nihilistic, but also hopeful. Like, I don't know how to describe. But anyway, we were talking about that. And it was oh, like, hell mouthy. Yeah. And we were like, oh, ha, we should start a podcast. Ha, 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 And then I emailed, and I was like, no, but really. And it'll be called Teen Creeps. And it's me and you, and we're talking about Christopher Pike. And we originally only were going to do Christopher Pike. Because that was, like, just, like, if you've read Christopher Pike, you know how, like, unique his books were. How... Like, they were like R.L. Stein. They were like Fear Street, but they were, like, they were sexier. Like, there was sex in them. These kids had sex. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, the R.L. Stein books are pretty, like, they're very iconic in their deaths and very gory, but, like. Sexless. Sex- totally sexless. sexless. There's, like, <laughs> he kissed me at the party, and I thought it was great. And, um, like, characters will call other characters a slut. But you never actually see any evidence. We don't see the sluttery. Sluttery is taking place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So then we we branched out. Well, because like we were like, okay, we're going to have like 15 episodes of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And also listeners were like, so uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like you're going to do all of the other books, right? And (laughs) the plan was like, oh, we're going to cover all of Christopher Pike and then we'll do the other books. But. We realized that it didn't really make sense to sure. <laughs> hold yeah. off on that. So we, uh, the first non-Christopher Pike book we did, I think, was The Babysitter. Oh, yeah. I love that by book. By R.L. Stein, yeah, yeah. which yeah. is not technically Fear Street. 
Right. No, that's before. before his Fear Street situation. Yeah, all those <laughs> yeah. books, like, situation. The, the books all kind of, you know, occupy similar worlds, but, like, the the branding on them is so, uh, like, you know, slightly different. Like, I love how there was, like, Fear Street super chillers, and when I was oh, young, I actually, yeah. like, I bought the the marketing that those were scarier. Uh, they when, are you know, scarier. They <laughs> are they are. really? They're yeah, no, they're, yeah. they're, like, way more, like, you get the, all of those unforgettable iconic deaths are from super chillers. Oh, no shit. I guess I never realized that. Yeah. Yeah. They're they, scarier. And oh, that's fun. The um, we and they're longer. Learn, we recently yeah. did, uh, because there were the Fear Street sagas. Yeah. Um, or the Fear Street saga, excuse me, which was a trilogy going into the lore of why Fear Street was so cursed. Um, and it was all about the fears and the goods back in you know the 1600s, and um. Then there was later a Fear Street Sagas series. Yeah. And we just covered the first one. Um, what is it? A New Fear. Yeah. Ten, <laughs> Fear ten Street out of Sagas ten. 1, A New Fear. Yeah. 10 out of 10 as far as like the deaths for that one. Like, Yeah. Nice. And that doesn't say super chiller, but my goodness. I like. It should be. As gory as these movies. Like yeah. just death after death after death in the weirdest most fucked up ways yeah like people's eyes exploding and like it's like really there's tops. one in particular um a girl had <laughs> someone shoved dough in her oh, mouth yes. <laughs> and then left her tied up by an oven and the oven heated the dough up so that it expanded yeah, in so her it head oh and my suffocated God. her so it was and coming it, like, out of was her nose and out of her ears and, and her eyes and, and like it was, it was brutal. That sounds like a super chiller to me. I'm yeah. super chiller. It should have been. That. It yeah. should have been. So it's like should've it been. seems like even though they stopped, they weren't called super chillers. I guess later it was just like, yeah, all bets are off. We're gonna kill as many people in as many horrible ways as we can think of. Amazing. Um, who are some of the other authors you cover besides like you know the obvious like Stein and Pike and stuff like that? Richie well, Tankersley Cusick. Uh-huh. Like, there's, like, there's, all of them have their own signature moves, too. Like, Ricky Chan- <laughs> Tankersley Cusick loves to have um, the love interest that's, like, very weird and rude. But, like, don't worry. <laughs> he, he's he's not the killer. He's just, like, an undercover cop that <laughs> fell in love with the main character. But he'll, like, wait for her. He's, like, 37. And he's, like, I'll wait for you until oh, you And then it, like, ends with her being, like, Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and we did uh, she's also the queen of uh, the busy villain. Oh, like so the villain busy. whose like agenda is so packed that it's like <laughs> how how could this have been one person yeah. the entire time? Like killing um, and hiding birds while like sight- like setting a car on fire while like planting like, evidence like, while yeah it's, it's so like, much. Yeah, and I then, definitely read some of his yeah. stuff when I was young. I I don't remember them as like vividly as I do like the Stein and the Pike books, but but I definitely read some of that and like some of what you're saying, like the undercover cop thing, like really rings a bell. So, <laughs> so Richie Tankersley Cusick is um is a lady. Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, there are, but we and, didn't know that either. But uh, she also wrote a Buffy the Vampire Slayer novel adaptation. Oh, wow. Yeah. So very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But there's actually a lot of like really unknown female authors of, I mean, not unknown, I guess if you care about point horror, but they're like really into it. Christopher Piper, R.L. Stein famous. Yeah. But like Diane Ho, Mm -hmm. um, Carol Ellis, uh, Richie Tankersley Cusick, um, Lois Duncan. Who else? 
Well, then there are probably some pen names like um, oh yeah D D E Atkins Deathkins A Bates A Bates Lyle Litka yeah very yeah. cool Sinclair Smith could be real name could be pen name yeah, yeah. that's great but yeah I feel they're like... all women once you once you get out of Christopher Pike and Arlstein as soon as you get into the ones you don't know they're women mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. very cool uh, Rachel did you read any of those satellite authors. I didn't too much. Yeah, I was really just pulling from Kimberly's little stash. So I didn't, you know, as, outside of that, I didn't do too much exploring after after the Fear Street. I kind of and Christopher Pike. I did read a lot of Christopher Pike and Goosebumps, of course. Um, after that, it was just headed straight to uh, King's Dominion for me. Yeah, I I I was on. There's a Christopher Pike podcast called the Pike Cast uh, that started probably about a year ago, and yeah. I was on. And I wanted to talk about Starlight Crystal, but they already had someone uh, on that Dang. one. And then, I, and then I wanted to talk about Monster, but of course, that was like the first one taken. Yeah, uh, that's the first one I read. The first Pike I read. Yeah, same it's with so me. Good. And I love it. Uh, but I ended up talking about Give Me a Kiss, which is like oh. the <laughs> corniest <Yeah>. book ever. <laughs> That's a really goofy one. It just ends up being all about like uh, about herpes, which is not what I was expecting at all. And uh, yeah, it was an interesting conversation. But I, I remember Pike being like, you know, like very unnerving. But that was an early book for him before he started really leaning into the the grossness. And it, there was more. It was a bit yeah. tamer. Like there and there wasn't really like this supernatural component or anything. Yeah, so it was philosophy. It was in, yeah, mm-hmm. it was interesting to revisit that era of Pike, which um, was kind of an era I had totally forgotten about because um, I just, you know, for me, it's always like monster starlight crystal kind of thing. Did you know that he kind of rebooted Give Me a Kiss with Fall Into Darkness? Uh, I did not know that. How does they he They kind of it? use this, a similar plot. They have the main character. He has the main character find what is clearly supposed to be a copy of Give Me a Kiss mm-hmm. as inspiration for staging her own death. Oh like God. the character does. So it's almost like he, he like wipes the slate clean and starts over with <laughs> the reason, his best sure. ideas from the book. It's very interesting. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, do you, re- you said that uh, Monster was your first Pike. I'm curious if you guys remember what your first Fear Streets were that you read when you were younger. And like sort of, you know, I guess that's a good way of asking, like, how did you two sort of first discover those books when you were young? Mm. I am not sure what my first fear street was i know the ones that stuck with me the most are the cheerleader series mm-hmm. mm, as they have so on the reread as well it might have been the cheerleader series because i was so obsessed with the cover for the second evil yes so obsessed with it because the, the girl one with is the skull? so pretty no it's no, just a very she... pretty brunette oh. it's just a very pretty brunette like looking straight at camera and then like but she's she's like backlit she's glowing she's, like, she's got that like halo her hair it's just like glowing i'm yeah. just like she's so pretty yeah <laughs> i love the cover with the uh, with the girl doing the splits but she like looks dead and um, she's doing the splits on a grave with her Vajwain on grave dirt. <laughs> yeah, that's I was the like, third girl, evil. UTI, what are you doing? <laughs> or maybe um, that's first evil. Yeah, I think, yeah. I, I think my first one was, well, the one that I think got me set on like reading more R.L. Stein uh, Fear Street books, because I, I wasn't, I don't remember, maybe the other ones I read didn't stick with me, but like this one, I was like, oh, I need to read the rest of these with Silent Night. Yeah. Um, and I just like remember the moment of her, 
of, of like the needle in the um, lipstick that mm-hmm. when she puts it on, it like cuts through her lip. Yeah. Like that moment I was like, what? And I it like deeply disturbed me. And then I was like, oh, I need to read more of yeah. these books. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that one really well. I think my first was the 99 Fear Street trilogy, which, oh, yeah. which I loved. Um, and I want to talk more about like those sort of mini series books. Cause I feel like that's a good transition to the movies, but, but, uh, but yeah, I remember um, like the brother or something being lost in the walls of like this haunted house. And that was, yeah. that like stuck with me. I haven't read these since I was young. Um, uh, the only one I've read in recent years was the one I read for the AV Club story that I interviewed you you guys about a couple of years ago. And that was the very first Fear Street, which was the new girl, which, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's one of those things where um, like the killer ends up being, you know, the secret sister or whatever, you know, which you guys said was like kind of a common Stein trope, I believe, oh, yeah. like in those early oh, yeah. books. Yeah, which is, uh, which is interesting, because then I love the way that it sort of evolves. Um, and the way that his, you know, the way that he utilizes like, um, uh, good guys, bad guys, twists and reveals and stuff like that. It evolves a lot. Rachel, do you remember your first one? I do. I have it here. Oh, actually. nice. Because oh, I my gosh, which one? So- it's bad dream. Bad, beautiful bad dream. cover. Yeah. Really good cover. Kind of similar to the wrong number cover, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, totally. Yeah. But yeah, so this this was the first one I ever read. And it was, I mean, it's so short and quick and, you know, not excessively gory or anything. Yeah, 148 pages. So it was perfect for me at that right age. And yeah, the covers. I, I think that that is, for me, that was that was it. Like, sold me. Yeah. These, you know, these beautiful girls, these paintings, these just looking terrified and so I I can never get over how good these covers are still they hold up yes. so great they still look so good <laughs> yes and I do think that once they started to change the covers of like YA a little bit to where it was like either <laughs> either just like actual photos of girls it's with like 2005 like clip art. Is when it starts happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like the worst graphic design you've ever seen in your life. I was like, I think I don't want to read these anymore. Yeah. And the font was like terrible. All that like, like, like hacker like, font. Yeah. Or <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. Like, or like Lucida Sands console or something. Like, yes. <laughs> and it's just like flat in the middle. I, I remember just being like, this sucks. These covers suck. Yeah. It's like, hello, where are my illustrations? <laughs> yeah. This is not what I signed up for. Yeah. Well, because it was just like very angsty and moody instead of like full camp, which is like what these books are. Right. Right. Yeah. I guess like in terms of saying like, what is a Fear Street book? Um, You guys having, you know, been revisiting these, what would you say it is that distinguishes Fear Street from other books in, in the in like the genre? And uh, yeah, like what, what would you say are sort of the touchstones of a Fear Street book? Uh, fake cliffhangers. Yeah. Uh, fake out cliffhangers for sure, where it's like. Oh my god, I'm being pushed off a cliff. Oh no, wait, it's my friend hugging me and I'm in front of a puddle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like um, along those lines a buddy of mine is reading a few to prep for the movies and he literally sent me like two screenshots of it was the end of a chapter and it was and then, you know, and then he stabbed me. And then the beginning of the next chapter was he didn't really stab me. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, oh my god. The best yes. how it always will it's like and then I died. Yes. I didn't really die. It always says that. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I didn't well, I guess really it felt this, like I, I didn't died. actually, yeah. or it just felt like that, but it was actually a hug. And I, yeah. oh, I guess I was just scared. It like the most egregious cliffhangers mm-hmm. in the game. 
Like no um, one does it like Arl Stein. <laughs> yeah. And then the like um comic relief character. Uh-huh. Yeah, the class is, clown boy. Okay, he's a class clown. His style of comedy is to use <laughs> food as props. Okay. He's gonna put like he's and this has happened twice. And okay, Lindsay and listeners have pointed out that the first time I did think it was funny. I am shocked that I did. If you go back and I, listen to the babysitter, so Kelly's disgusted. like, I thought it was funny. Okay. I thought it was like irreverent. I don't know. I, I just, okay. But so the character either takes, the first instance, it was hard boiled eggs and uh-huh. he like puts them on his eyes and he's like, can he's you? Like, and e- I'm excited to yeah. see you or something. Lindsay, like, that's better oh, wow. than what would be in there. I know. That's, that's the thing is it, it, that was cleverer than. Yeah. And then I'm like. Sorry. Just my comedic brain at work. Yeah. But, and then everyone else being like, oh, Jerry is just like so crazy. And then <laughs> the second one was, I mean, there's always like food props, but the eggs specifically was two fried eggs and he puts them on his eyes and one of the yolks like starts to break and he's like, ah, you're making my eyes run. Oh, um, awful. That's and everyone's awful. like, you're ab- you're totally disgusting, Greg. <laughs> and then like that's supposed to show that he's like very twisted sense of humor. Like that's always, right? Like they're always like, well, yeah, twisted you, sense of humor. It's either you're never, it's always like just the cheesiest pun Mm -hmm. but then based on the other character's reaction is how you know you're supposed to think of this character so it's either like oh my god that's so funny or oh my god that is so messed up that you would (laughs) think that that's funny it's like okay now I know he's either actually supposed to be funny or I know he's actually going to be a red herring or I know he like in fact could be the killer but not but the actual like character is the same is right. only it could people's be, reaction to it yeah. yeah i would say another rl stein classic move up until a certain point when he went full on into it which i was always happy to see was he would do mm. what i would call supernatural edging yeah. which is to make it seem like it's supernatural up until the very last minute when nope it was just Stage makeup. Yeah. He's not okay, actually a yeah. zombie. Well, mm-hmm. and truly, like the reason we are supposed to believe that the character whose point of view we're in thinks it's supernatural is that this person is an idiot because <laughs> she sees a guy in high school stage makeup and she's like, "Oh my god, my boyfriend's dead, <laughs> and he's a ghost zombie, and he's gonna get me." And I'm like, "This is party just- city makeup," <laughs> and you think. Yeah, you like, is he like gonna go work on like Lord of the Rings in the future? Like, is he that amazingly talented at SFX makeup? Or is it that you're an idiot and you're like, oh my, I'm being haunted by my. Oh, and that reminds me of another trope where it's like they see a person kind of behaving, like not behaving that strangely, like, like he. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! I know. Yeah, like where they're like, "Oh my gosh!" Like his shirt has like a skeleton on it, (laughs) and then they're like, "Like I'm so scared right now!" Like he's—I can't believe he's wearing a skeleton shirt that's so twisted. Kind of person would wear a skeleton (laughs) on their shirt. I'm afraid for my—I don't feel 
safe right now. <laughs> yeah. And like truly like it and must like mean that's, he's a murderer. Yeah, and that's the only indication that like mm-hmm. he's supposed to be a red herring. Like the character is made a red herring by it's like what his hair is slightly longer than his ears. Like, oh yeah. What yeah. kind of wild hippie is this? It's just yeah. like the most basic also it's something you wouldn't even notice yeah, about like, someone. Like, oh my God, what are all these crazy t-shirts he owns? Yeah. Truly, yeah. we just read um, <clears throat> a knife. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I remember that one. Which should have been yeah. called the hospital. Yeah, because it, no one, there's no knife there's like situation. Whatever, a knife fine. once, and it's not like a big feature of the book. But it truly was, like Kelly said, he just has like a lot of like, t-shirts he wears like like, hot topic t-shirts like spencer's t-shirts weird phrases on them yeah he this guy is like very basic but he just he wears a t-shirt that's like bad to the bone and she's like what (laughs) is this and then okay to to kind of circle back to a fake out yeah oh my god he (laughs) falls to the ground and she's like oh my god he has been stabbed in the back and is dead. <laughs> and then the next page is like, it was his shirt had a design of a knife stabbing him. <laughs> no. And she thought it was real. No. Yes. <laughs> it's so. <laughs> I, th- I think maybe the knife is one of the best examples of, yeah. of a number of tropes. So that, many tropes. That Fear Street uses. And then uh, probably, would you say the manner in which characters are murdered is, like, does Stein have a particular way of doing that compared to other authors? Most gruesome. of the murders are just, like, stab, 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 mm-hmm. and pretty gruesome. But yeah, I do think he's the only one where the death is almost, like, a an art piece like they're they're truly so iconic like bobby in um in the cheerleader series she dies by being like boiled alive in the gym showers Mm -hmm. which like i don't fully understand how that happened no whatever though (laughs) but it's iconic um the dough in the face one um in uh summer camp one what was it Kelly, we just looked cruel, this up. No, I keep wanting to say lights cruel summer. Out? It's not that. Lights out, lights out. In yeah. lights out, um, a girl is at a pottery wheel and her necklace gets caught yeah. in the wheel and she gets pulled in and her face gets just like fully Sanded. ground down. Yeah. Nasty. Yeah. Um, so things like that where it's like really striking imagery. Yeah. yeah, really imaginative. Like very... um. <laughs> Like teen book version, like teen slasher book version of like the Hannibal series where uh-huh. it's like, what's this body going to be looking like? Like it's like that. Like they're very tableau Like you can imagine yeah. like, what it looks like to come upon this death and discover yeah. it. So moving on to like the sagas, um, because, you know, there is Fear Street Saga, which is one in itself. But then there, you know, the cheerleaders and the 99 Fear Street. And then there's like. I know that there's a few others that are basically like one story told across multiple timelines, like over several books. Um, is like, how do those work for you? Do you think that Stein like uh, navigates well that idea of connecting like ancient evil to suburban modern evil, stuff like that? Like, how are those, how do those series work for you? 
I like those ones. Yeah, those are some of my favorite. I think he does I think he does a very good job of connecting what's happening now with what took place back in the day between the fears and the goods. Mm-hmm. Um in the actual like trilogy, the Fear Street saga, where we finally get the lore of Susanna Good and what's Simon his face Fear here, and um, all those people, yeah, yeah, and all the the lead up to the building of Fear Street, I those are like maybe a little repetitive in what takes place. It's just absolutely always like, whoops, a Fear and a Good fell in love, and now everyone's gonna die, yeah, <laughs> um, but connecting it to present day murders mm-hmm. is very fun and i think like that lore is really satisfying to me mm-hmm. i love the idea that of like a family curse spanning generations i just think that that's a fantastic trope yeah yeah and then connecting it too with like the physical remnants of like the lore too which is like in in present day or rather the 90s when the characters are just like yeah there's like the messed up Simon Fear Mansion that we just like don't go to and it's like burned down and it's very scary and it's cursed. And anyway, we all live here and it's fine. Um, But like, so having that kind of teased and then we're like, oh, we see the origins of how it burned down. And then when you come back with the new Fear Street sagas, not to be confused with Fear Street Saga. Yeah. So starting with a new fear, then we kind of see like, Okay, well, like, what happened to Nora Good? Mm-hmm. Who's, who's the sole survivor, quote, of the, like, the basically, like, fire massacre that occurs yeah. and, like, kills everybody there? And, like, how does she move on? Oh, she can't escape the curse and, like, blah, 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 blah. And, like, she tries to rename her, herself and her son Storm instead of Fear. <laughs> Uh, and that doesn't work because you just can't escape the curse and, and all that. So. That's it's fun. cool to see that, yeah. And when, I also just love like Puritan time stuff. Like when we go all the way back to the beginning, I I love a period piece horror, and they do kind of feel like folk horror, believe it or not. Yeah, They're like yeah. even though there's a camp aspect to them. Right. I'm excited to talk about uh, the third movie uh, where they go back in uh, to the 1600s, but. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Mm-hmm. But first, I guess, like, when did you first hear about the the fact that they were making these movies on on uh, you know? Well, I said on Netflix, but it was it was in development pre net like before it became a Netflix property. But um, but yeah, like, what what did you guys like expect or want from a Fear Street adaptation? 
I expected them to be bad. Mm-hmm. Fully expected Same. them not to do a good job. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. uh, this is going to be like some Riverdale stuff. And like, <laughs> not like I can appreciate Riverdale. I just don't want everything to feel the same. And I don't, I didn't, I really didn't want Fear Street to just feel like they were taking the name, but making a different genre, mm-hmm. making it just like, but I, if I were to, I'm trying to think what I hoped for. I I hoped it would feel kind of 90s and I hoped it would be campy and I hoped it would use the tropes, but I am very happy with what we got. Yeah. yeah. Very happy with what we got. How about you, Kelly? Like what kind of uh what kind of movie were you expecting? I mean, I think I was I I thought that was going to be I thought they were going to be bad. I was like this is just going to be like A movie set in, you know, the 90s, but it's not going to feel like the 90s. And it's also not going to feel like these books. Like, I was afraid it was going to be an adaptation where the person adapted. And I didn't know who was attacked. I didn't know anything. Like, just when it was like, Fear Street to be made. I was like, oh. Like, I was like, oh, this is going to, like a lot of adaptations, be one in which the person adapting it doesn't really know why they would want to adapt this IP or like right. doesn't know why someone like why people like it or why they themselves even like it. You I know? was going to say my biggest fear is it was going to be someone who didn't have any attachment or affection for the book themselves and didn't didn't know why we liked it. Yeah. Like they just saw it as IP. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like it's yeah. a job. Right. I was worried about that, too. And I think that that's something we talk a lot about in relation to Stephen King. Like, Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, because it's interesting now. Notoriously bad adaptations. Yeah. It varies. Especially in the 80s and the early 90s, because I think that was when, you know, people didn't grow up with King. Those were like adults taking jobs and were trying to capitalize on a trend. And what's interesting about the movies now, and there's still plenty of dud adaptations that come out now, but but uh, a lot of these filmmakers, like I've, we've interviewed Mike Flanagan, we've interviewed Andy Muschietti, we've interviewed um, uh, Zach Hilditch, and these are all guys, like, based on what they say, like, they grew up reading King. Uh, you know, Mike Flanagan used to carry a copy of Gerald's Game with him to every pitch meeting in case they didn't like anything else. He'd always pull out, I want to adapt <laughs> Gerald's Game. And... Um, and I think that's part of what has made some of these recent adaptations like better and more, uh, you know, I don't know, like have a kind of a stronger emotional core is because they they grew up, they under they understand sort of the experience and what it is specifically about Stephen King beyond the IP that makes him special. And so I think I had good I had good vibes when I because I was reporting on this news uh, at the time, the Fear Street news. So I remember I was like digging into the info and I was heartened by the fact that Lee Janiak was involved because um I liked her movie Honeymoon. I thought that was really solid. And then, um, and also at one point, um, Alex Ross Perry, who directed like Her Smell and um, uh, Queen of Earth. I think he did Queen of Earth. I could be wrong on that. But um, he uh, he was attached to direct the second one at one point, but then um, ended up dropping off. So good talent was attached. And so I remember being optimistic. And then when I found out they were splitting it into three movies and that they were going to jump around timelines, including going back to the 1600s, that's when I was like, even if they're bad, at least, like, they understand the franchise, like, the IP enough, like, and, and Stein enough to try to emulate 
the structure of one of his sagas, which to me was really exciting. And especially because we hadn't really seen anything like that, at least recently. And then the idea that they were going to be released, you know, month or, you know, I think initially it was like going to be one a month and then they bumped it. Now it's just two weeks. But even so, it's like sort of mimics the the release schedule of Stein where, you know, you get a book and then you yeah, wait a month, yeah. <laughs> another one comes out. Um, so, yeah, I but again, again, I didn't really know, but I've been watching this project for a few years now. And I think those things I always found very heartening. How about you, Rachel? Like, were you following this news at all? I was, and I always was, same thing you guys are kind of talking about. I was always worried it was just going to be a cash grab because, you know, we see this all the time. Everybody wants to capitalize on these, you know, aging kids with money, you know, wanting yeah. to like relive <laughs> their nostalgia of their day. And I, so I was worried about that. But once I saw the cast too, I felt good about it and saw some of those images of this cast because I had the same thing that Lindsay was saying I kind of thought it was going to be more the Riverdale kind of mm -hmm. thing where it's like super loosely based in Riverdale but really it's just about these hot young actors <laughs> and exactly. I thought it was really refreshing to see these kids who you know it was a diverse cast it was kids who look like kids kids who look like normal kids and just look like your average kind of teenagers. So that really also made me feel better. And Lee, um, I don't know how to say her last name, Lee Janiak. Jan yeah, I just say Janiak, but I might be wrong. Yeah, so. that's what and we were she, saying too. She yeah. came out in some interviews and what she was saying about her experience reading the books, that, that made me feel better too. It was like, okay, clearly this is somebody who wants to do this. It, you know, it wasn't just necessarily hired to do this. I mean, of course she was, but like actually had a passion mm -hmm. and wanted to kind of do some justice. So that 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 all made me feel better but still even then it was way better all three of them were way better than I thought they would be yeah, yeah. I want to talk about those a little bit but uh before we get into our personal reactions like we were just talking about the sagas and everything like what because obviously this is an original story in so many ways but having recently read um kind of the fear slash good origin stories how much of that made its way into the movie from the books would you guys say what like 10 percent yeah. yeah, not much, but at the same time, it was like they captured the soul yeah. of the lore, mm -hmm. even though they weren't fully taking the story. Because like I said, the, the lore of Fear Street is that a good fell in love with a fear and the fears were not fucking having it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, shit went down. <laughs> and... While they didn't take that, it was so much the like the spirit and soul of the lore that it doesn't matter that it was only ten percent for me. Yeah, yeah, me neither. They told such a good story with it. <laughs> yeah. Good. Oh, nice. <clears throat> Thank um, you so much. <laughs> um. Yeah. I. I. Yeah. I. I didn't care that it wasn't like beat for beat. This is this the Fear Street Saga story. Um, because also at the same time, the stuff that was taken from it, right, this idea of a fear and a good falling in love, has, the way that it then plays out kind of has this really cool and, – and I think – two. oh, God, okay, two things. One, I think that it, like – we get a teaser of kind of, like, what you think this is going to be versus what it really is, kind of in the difference of, like, what the lore is to us, the audience, and I guess to the characters from movie one to movie three, right? Where it's like, oh, you think it's going to be because, like, like 
this witch was evil and blah, 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 blah. But then it turns, you know, it turns out not to be the case. And I think like having the adaptation as a whole do that with the, the audience's expectation of like this is going to be about uh, a fear and a good falling in love when like there's snippets of truth there, which is kind of like, you know, the victor writes the story. Mm-hmm. So I feel yeah. like it's kind of like a cool like 10 level <laughs> way to kind of be yeah. like, oh, the story you think, you know, from history isn't what it is because this person is the one telling the story. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. I felt like it was, like, both in the actual adaptation of the books and in how, like, the story panned out in the trilogy. I felt like both of those things were communicating that, which was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was cool how it was, like, it it was playing on several different levels of, like, here's what we're telling just any old general audience who maybe has no familiarity. There's a witch and she's haunting people. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it's like you've got audience one not familiar is like, okay, got it. Then you've got audience two is familiar with the lore and we're like, it might be Sarah Fear, but like the goods are the real bad guys. And mm-hmm. then it it also subverts that. So it's like no matter where you're coming into it with your Fear Street history, you were still surprised. Yeah. And you were surprised awesome. like the characters were, which is yeah. cool. Yeah, it's hard when you're telling a story and you're going backwards in time throughout it uh, because it's, you know, you think you understand the history. And that takes like a lot of, I think, narrative um, like mastery to be able to um, go back in time and show the origins. And by showing the origins, reveal new things about, you know, what you saw at the beginning. And that to me was like really nifty and neat. And I initially thought that, you know the 78 movie and the 1666 movie were going to be um, exclusively set like in those timelines. And I was like, how are they going to pull that off? Yeah. And um, I think it was actually smart to, um, you know, allow that 94 thread to sort of carry through um, uh, throughout. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think I agree with you in terms of capturing like the soul and the spirit of, of fear street. And I think it has a lot to do with, with the general structure of it, because I think, um, I think that in a way showed more, um, fidelity perhaps or reverence for Stein than just doing the story as it's written in the books. I think capturing the time spanning aspect of it, um, the teen drama of it, um, the nostalgia of it, but then also, um, you know, allowing it to be violent too, is I think really mm-hmm. cool. Like I've, I've seen some people sort of struggle with, um, they're like, they're like, well, it's got all this brutal violence and uh, there's all this sex in it and stuff, but this, this still feels like a PG-13 movie. And I saw some people saying that in like um, like a critical way. And to me, I'm like, well, that's exactly – yeah. <laughs> to me, that's like exactly what it's getting right, which is that yeah. you did read – like those books are R-rated, like in terms yeah. of the violence, like, you know, you described some of that earlier. And they were sexless, whereas these movies are filled with sex. But that's, uh, that's you know, just in one deviation. Way. Yeah, I think so too. And, Honestly, um, I, I thought – I always thought that the – Fear Street books needed more sex, so it, right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, we were Happy Christopher Pike uh, yeah. devotees, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we were like, uh, you can see people's butts. Those books in Christopher are just, Pike books. so much sex in those books. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that's sort of the best trick is is by you know even by putting all this violence in there and there is some brutal stuff i mean obviously the you know the 
the fruit slicer at the end of the first movie is great. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah. that to me is like a perfect Stein kill that um but the idea that you can use the teen drama and use sort of the um the general tone and the sense of humor and the playfulness of the whole thing to allow it to still feel like a teen thing. Because I think sometimes mm-hmm. the horror community especially can sort of like forget that some things are meant for teenagers, you know? <laughs> like yeah. not everything is meant for like, you know, to appeal to not everything's like an Ari Aster film. So it's uh <laughs> so I, I what I love though is I'm like I love these movies because they really do feel like they were made for teenagers. But I mean obviously I can still enjoy it. But um but the that that sort of trick of working in the violence, working in the lore, but then also allowing it to still feel like a teen sort of thing. That to me is, uh, is a great trick that really, I think honors the books, but, um, but yeah, Rachel, what were some of your general reactions to, uh, these movies? Well, just going off of what you're just saying it to me, I loved it because in my opinion, it doesn't insult the audience. Like, yes, it's made for teens. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, they can have teens in their mind, but at the same time, like, I mean, teens, are teens like they know mm-hmm. they watch tons of gory stuff like teens are having sex teens are you know exploring their sexuality and you know whatever realm and whatever that means to them so it doesn't make sense to me to not have those elements in there yeah so that that criticism doesn't really hold water to me because i think these are things that teens are seeing all the time and so i loved that i love that it was gory i love that they went there with the sex and added that in there but still kept that emotional core and these characters that did still feel really real um they weren't quite so exaggerated i think or i don't know hyperbolic i guess as even in the books that they feel sometimes yeah um so i I really enjoyed that and i'm i'm of the mind where if you're going to adapt something or you're going to remake something I don't need it to be beat for beat. Like I like seeing a new interpretation, like show me something new. Anybody can take something and film it, you know, just as it happens. But that's, I don't know, not very exciting and not very original, I think. So I like that they took the heart, like you said, that 10%, but really expanded it and gave us something new and something Mm -hmm. that both diehard, you know, old school fans will like, but also people that haven't seen it can also enjoy and understand and appreciate all on its own. So yeah, yeah I thought that, I thought it was great. Yeah. Here's something I think and why I really loved these movies so much is because, and I'm just like constantly talking myself out of a job when it comes to R.L. Stein, <laughs> <laughs> but R.L. Stein has a master class on writing for kids. Yeah. And he says in it, you don't have to write from the heart. I've never written anything from the heart. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I could tell Robert. Um, <laughs> but what, so what's brilliant about the movies is that they, it's almost like, even more so than capturing the soul of the Fear Street books, mm-hmm. they capture the soul of us while we were reading the Fear Street books. Because yeah. I think, Gosh. and again, I'm sorry, R.L. Stein, I think that we as the readers were bringing more to the table than what the books were giving us. Like, oh, I think, 100%. Yeah. So we've got this story and we've got these teens and like, he clearly like doesn't really give a shit about them. And... But we, as little kids, were 
bringing all of our hormones and our drama and our hopes and our dreams for what like our teenage years were going to be like. Mm -hmm. And we were projecting onto these books something I think deeper and more emotional and even scarier than what the books were actually giving us. So I almost feel like this these movies adapted our love of Fear Street more so than the Fear Street books alone. Yeah, that's, I love that. Yeah, it's such a beautiful way of putting that. I think you completely nailed it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so much nostalgia Thank we you. bring to it. Yeah, <laughs> and and I think that a lot of that emotion, it is something that that, that yeah because like he has almost like like a lot of disdain for a lot of his characters yes. um i think uh and sort of relishes you know probably the most fun he has is when he's killing them and i think that's obvious in the in the prose but mm-hmm. uh but yeah and i but i think that um i think that's a really cool point um i'm curious what of the three movies which one stood out to you the most which one was your favorite uh uh kelly how about you um i loved all three of the books or movies <laughs> I loved all three of the movies. Um, I think, I mean, honestly, 1666 was probably my favorite. I mean, of course, because it like answers a lot of questions, but also I think proves, I'm going to have to watch the whole thing again, knowing, you know, what I know now about like the care that was put into this, having seen the third one, you know, because, because the first two, right, like you have like questions about like, what is this lore? Like what? what exactly are the rules and like how does this all fit in and like why does this happen when this happens you know and it's all answered in 1666 but also like a lot of like core emotional character questions are answered and kind of touching on what you were saying Rachel about how these movies don't treat the audience like it's stupid kind of I think there are a lot of like oh this thing that happened in in, in book or God, sorry, so used to covering books, <laughs> Sing books. The, the, these things that happened in movie one, these like little things like were like this, you know, when the um, uh, the girl at the beginning, the like Drew Barrymore character yeah. of st- scream of this dies, uh, but she's like pull, trying to pull down the um, the gate. Right. Yeah. And it won't go down all the way. And then that comes back again in movie three, which like not only was like narratively important for the moment in movie one, but then pays off in movie three. I think having like all of those moments like that, that were not just obvious Easter eggs, but things that matter to the characters in those moments, then come back or be foreshadowing or whatever in movie three. I think it like, I feel like in a lot of other movies that treat their audience like they're stupid, Anything that like is going to come back or is a hint about something or is foreshadowing is so badly written. Like it's not written as if it matters in the moment, but mm-hmm. rather it's like, hey, make sure you look at this. Um, this this door is not closing, and it's not really going to matter. But you know, it's just so. So you so then you know to look for it, but rather instead having so many interweaving stories that all matter to each other Mm -hmm. and not having to be like hey idiot watching like make sure you pay attention to this because it's gonna come back but rather like lets you feel very smart as an audience you know a viewer because then you're like 
oh, that thing at the beginning, like that, like not only caused his death, but also like is going to be something that's going to affect these characters now. And then yeah. plus I'm just like a, a slut for like 1666. Like I like yeah. Puritan time <laughs> stuff. Like, I, and, and kind of funny that you were mentioning Ari Aster, but it kind of did have weirdly that like prestige horror feel to it. Um, particularly like some of those shots are like very, very unforgettable. Like I, I felt like there were such iconic shots in 1666, like the moment when um, <laughs> when Solomon yeah. uh, walks through the front door of the meeting hall and you see that like sermon taking yeah. place. Yeah, yeah. And it's like this very like almost Last Supper-y type uh, like tableau. Mm-hmm. But instead it's like, parishioners but instead it's like children whose like eyes are gouged out I don't know I just felt like and it was like very patient with those shots so I just thought it was really cool that like it was such an exploration of of a di- a different genre that's like very different like the first two are slasher mm-hmm. right we've got 90s slasher and we've got 70s slasher and then this is like this like patient like prestige uh, period piece and yet at the same time there's like a lot of like character. I don't know. I just felt I sorry. I talked for so long about how much I love it, but I really like the last one a lot. Yeah. I like yeah. all of them. This the middle one I, I also like 70 slashers a lot. So I liked all of them. I don't know. Yeah, I uh there was a shot too that I liked. Like it had yeah, like it had a little Ariaster uh flavor when um when Solomon like had the the black hood on, you know. Oh and, my god, I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was like really cool. Like it was fun for them to sort of uh lean into the the sort of satanic, demonic, black magic aspect of it. Um that yes. to me was fun. It just gives it some stakes and uh and, and kind of situates it in that kind of um uh ancient horror, you know, which I I really enjoy that yeah. sort of thing. Um Lindsay, how about you? Like, what what movie uh, would you say was your favorite? Uh, also, sixteen sixty six. Not just because of all the reasons uh, Kelly said, which I agree with. We watched this one together. The first two we watched separately. Um, we watched this one together with our friend Oscar Montoya, who uh, is our like a regular Teen Creeps guest whenever we talk about a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when this shot was coming of of the whole townspeople walking single file Hannah and Sarah to the hanging tree. Yeah. Kelly went, Oh, this shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause it and was it like, is, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's that ultra wide aerial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the, like them perfectly like bisecting the shot diagonally with the cutting like, through the field. Yeah. Yeah. Really beautiful shot. Yeah. It was really cool. I, it was, so I had a lot of high hopes for 1666 and what we talked about on Teen Creeps was like 1666 has a lot to do to mm-hmm. make sure that our love and respect for the first two pay off because mm-hmm. if it hadn't really paid off the lore, it not only would have made the third one a giant bummer, it would have made the whole trilogy a giant bummer. Yeah. And so it was like, we need to find out What's up with the nosebleeds? What's up with Sarah Fear possessing people? Who gets possessed and why? Why all of the demons are after them every time? But that wasn't the case in previous um, massacres. It wasn't like in every massacre, it's not like all of the murderers went after. So like, why is that happening? Not only in 1994, but also 1978. 
all of this work to do. Like, what is the lore? Like, we know it's not the lore of the books. So what is the history of Sarah Fear? And I feel like it was in 1666 where it was not only like, oh, I'm really enjoying these movies. It was like, oh, these movies are really artfully done. Like the Mm -hmm. setup, it not only paid off the lore and explained it all. I don't think they left anything on the table for me. Not unintentionally, (laughs) just intentionally Um, something. But they took one thing off the table. Um, It... Like it, it answered all of that in ways that I didn't expect, that I didn't predict, and in more emotional ways. Mm-hmm. And because, like, we talked about when we watched the first movie, how we liked that there's representation, there's a, a lesbian love story at the center of these movies. Mm-hmm. And it turns out there's two lesbian love stories at the center of these movies, which is like really touching and beautiful but we're like praising the fact that it wasn't as kelly put it like didactic it wasn't like super obvious like lesson of like love wins or like yeah this kind of like very modern kind of lesson-y story it was just a, a love story but then like by the time you go back, it does get tied up in politics. It does get tied up in witch trial politics, but still not in a didactic way. Yeah. And so I was just, <clears throat> pardon me, I was just really impressed with how they paid everything off. And I was really impressed with how emotional the story got. Mm-hmm. Oh I my was God, like, we were crying. We were crying. <laughs> we were crying. so upset. We were going like, <gasps> like, gasping and like screaming no (laughs) and when when she's like and when she was like like quote confessing but just like saying everything that she fears about herself and like things that have been said to her i was like zero where she keeps saying like i clouded her mind i clouded her i was like girl no i "No." I have goosebumps now oh my god also before we watched it because like we sat down to watch the third one together we were like pacing around like we were like okay so like if sometimes they have (laughs) bloody noses like when she's near and we were it was like straight up like red yarn style like postulating like we were like okay 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 so so this is what i think it was very i don't know i haven't been that excited about something like that in a long time yeah yeah and i at at the end of the movie when it's revealed how dina saves herself i stood up cheering (laughs) i was like <laughs> okay, also the part that we burst out laughing and cheered was the way that they showed that the counterside blessing on Sunnyvale is gone. Yeah. By that guy backing yeah. out into the street yeah. and getting Just fucking getting pancaked <laughs> by yeah. a trash can. I laughed we so were hard like, at that. Yes! <laughs> so Fuck funny. those rich people. Yeah. So <laughs> funny. The moment we realize or because I had specifically said, like, no, guys, I think that Solomon good is good. I oh, think my God. Exactly we were like, you're good. an idiot. But then, like, but then no. I kept I, – I was also turning that to them. I was like, I just want to, like, very thoroughly set myself up to be wrong here. I think he's good. So I really – like, I knew that he couldn't be, 
but they were no, so selling no me on the idea that <laughs> he was good that I was like, no, but probably because well, because he was all Heathcliffy. He yeah, was he all was like so Heathcliffy. He was Heathcliffy in the woods, he and he was, was so like, like Mr. Rochestery. I know, I know. And you were like, I think he's good, you guys. And I we were think, like, I think he's actually good because I want him to marry me. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh but, my god! But that moment, another moment, we all went no. Was when she's telling him. Um, oh my god. She's telling him how she went to look for the book and the book was missing. She thinks somebody did a spell and and maybe for power. I don't know. And he was like, okay, I believe you. And then he goes. And you were like, see, guys? (laughs) (laughs) And then he goes, so who else knows about this? And we all went, run! (laughs) We were like, lie, lie, lie. If somebody says, who else knows about this? They're trying to figure out who else they need to kill. Get out, get out. Also, when she she discovers the devil stone thing and she's like, oh no. And he's like, there, we were like, just lie. Be like, "Mm, I love this. Like, this is so great. We (laughs) should do it together. Wow, you beat me to it. Um, Congrats. Isn't that a coincidence? (laughs) Like, uh, we should get married and save Hannah. Okay, I'll just be the devil's bride forever now. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was like, drink your water, mind your business. Yeah. And um, then I was like, just like slit his throat in his sleep. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you don't need to talk to him about it now. Yeah. <laughs> she did. Um, I, so I was just, yeah, it was 1666 because I, I too love like an old Puritan Gothic horror. And because it was the reveal of the artfulness of the trilogy overall, I was like, yes, fucking nailed the dismount and then some. Yeah, I thought that that was probably one of the more, most compelling, um, I don't know, like stretches of the whole thing for me was that 1666 section. And, you know, I liked it because it kind of gave me a little bit of camp because it's just funny to watch these kids like do the, oh, like, you know, Goody Taylor, we have to bring her eggs. Oh, and, and I loved that it was the same actors so Yeah, deeply. I love that yeah. it was the same actors. And like, I think that contributed to it because there's something like thoroughly modern about, uh, you know, several of those kids. Um, and so it's just kind of, it's like watching like a school production of The Crucible at first, yes. uh, which, but in a good way, like I love that aspect of it. But then, yeah, like the horror actually went there. Like, I love the fact that you've got just like dead children with their eyes ripped out in the middle of a church like I love it when it goes there like and that's one thing I liked overall about the series was that it wasn't afraid to like you know kill off children which um you know you wouldn't even find in the uh like in the slashers like you know Friday the 13th of the world um like when they killed the little kid from pen 15 in the second one I was just like oh my god And at least they did it, like, off-screen. off-screen. Yeah. Yes. They're like, yeah. he's too young to yeah. just brutalize in yeah. plain but view. We I was do like see his severed shocked. limbs, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the end. But it's like, yeah, I love him so much on Pen15. I was like, sweet boy, like, protect him at all costs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, uh, Rachel, your fa- what was your favorite of the three? So, okay. I, I kind of look at them separately. So my my favorite just by itself that I think it like standalone I enjoyed it by itself was 1978 yep I I mean I love slashers and I thought they did such a good job at balancing you know what the, you know their own story but also paying tribute to these films I love the music I thought it was like just it's like oh that's such a nod to Friday the 13th and Harry Manfredini's score what they were doing with it and you know the 
stereotypical characters and how it looked and the killer even you know that's a jason yeah i know the bag yeah yeah, yeah. baghead jason and also it kept making me think mike vanderbilt from halloweenies is always Mm -hmm. talking about you know fuck them kids just kill those (laughs) kids and you know they they did that so you know it had it hit all those beats and was a lot of fun while still you know going a little bit deeper into the lore i think the third one is it, it really blew me away, just like for all the reasons you guys have all said, um, you know, they explain a lot of the lore, but then they also resolve it. There's a lot to do, like you said, in that one. And yeah, I, I, I always love me some some witches. So I was very much into that. But yeah, 1978 for me was my favorite standalone one. Also, the needle drops chilled out a little bit with. The oh my god! Two. I know. Oh my goodness! The, the first one was a little <laughs> heavy-handed for me because it was like, oh yeah. wow, you played like literally four seconds of that song. Like, is that yeah. really necessary? Like, I get it. I get what yeah. you're doing, but I don't know. But they I think in the doing that 1978 quite a bit too, though. They the were, it was just that one song like 20 times though. Yeah. Because they were like, we have to make use of this license. Yeah. <laughs> At I least know. it was yeah. a bit more diegetic, I think. Yeah. You know, it would start as oh, like just a needle the drop yeah. and then it would like, okay, it's playing here in this scene, you know? So like. Well, using Cat Stevens' working. first cut as the deepest is a clever, clever little <laughs> yeah. one to drop in a slasher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I thought it was just a little bit better executed for me personally um in that one as well so oh i was cracking up during the first movie like i was texting my friends and i was like literally i was like radiohead nine inch nails bush portis head uh and there was like another i was like in Too 15 mi- it was like in 15 minutes and so yeah, yeah. It was wild. so many and it was just yeah you know doing it because you can i guess because you have yeah. the budget or have I know. like a Access I was saying catalog? I they must know. have access, like crazy access to a catalog, like with the drops that they were doing. Um, yeah, and I guess when it's streaming, it's just like not quite as expensive. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, maybe. Yeah. And so, uh, no, it's funny because Bush Machine Head, I just wrote a, a piece in The Ringer about the way that I wrote about the, the show, The Challenge on, on MTV. And uh, but I my kind of like lead in for it was about how, their use of Machine Head and in, in their in their like all star season they just did. Because I'm like, I'm like, when's the last time like somebody used it? Because it's like the best fucking needle drop to use in something. But it's also like instant time portal, you know, to another yeah. time like that opening riff. And then it was funny because I, I wrote about how novel it was that they used it. Oh <laughs> I watch Fair Street and it's like, boom, it's back. And I'm like, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing Seeing like Machine Head pop up in a bunch of movies again, which is fine by me because I love that song. But and it does have a time like a total time warp quality, which a lot of those songs did, which I think works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, my fa- I think my favorite was seventy eight too. I I I love all three. Um, but and I I love sixteen sixty six a lot just for how novel it was and it's and yeah and it is I love sixteen sixty six because it kind of just epitomizes what makes this trilogy so special. And like, cause I, I love this idea of, of, of utilizing, um, this sort of trilogy format, the streaming format, I think is important to it as well, because I don't think, I don't think this could have worked in theaters as well. No. Uh, yeah. And, uh, but that whole concept of using these three films as ways to jump between time and also to use the cast. And like, ha- like I loved having the cast, um, from both the first two in 1666. That was really cool to me. And, uh, and I, it just all felt like very, um, 
like good for R.L. Stein. But so I loved how that all coalesced in the third one. And I, I thought it was a satisfying end to the I, I felt like they paid off the lore. I agree with you guys on that because it gets it gets so convoluted for a while. And I was like, how is this going to come together? And I feel like they did a good job of it. Um, but yeah, 78 for me, I'm also a slasher fan. And I think it it had a nostalgic feel to it. I really found the cast very appealing, like even more so than the first one. I, I think Sadie Sink is excellent. And um and uh, and I and they kind of use the same archetypes from uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. Like there's that hippie couple who yeah. are in that third one, and I always thought they were so funny when I was a little kid because I didn't understand hippies. And so <laughs> it was it was funny watching this because they had like the two stoner like horny stoner people, and uh, but then they actually gave her like like they killed him like you know as you should. Uh, he's but gotta then, go. He's gotta go. Yeah, he's gotta go. But like they gave her actually a really affecting backstory, and I was like, oh, oh wow, my God. <laughs> yeah, I the way that they painted that friendship, yeah. <laughs> Like, I thought truly, that was cool. Yeah, I totally agree. Like when, sorry, sorry, just like oh, what you ahead, were yeah. saying about, because I'm a huge 70s slasher fan. I love them. And that was the thing that I loved about 78 was that it wasn't just teenagers dressed up in 70s clothes and walking around with like kind of like this like warm uh, color palette. It was like, it felt like those slashers. And then we get the added, because, you know, in a lot of those slashers, we aren't going to get a story yeah. Like what the poor short the the girl of the hippie couple Alice. with the short hair that gets the compound fracture. Yeah. Alice and uh Cindy, like that friendship problem and resolution and then again problem when they both die. Uh that's not gonna be in a seventies slasher. Yeah. Yeah. But like I don't know, it still felt like it. I don't I really loved as a standalone movie, like if I were to watch them not seventy eight is maybe tied for me with 66. I yeah. really liked 78. That's really something I like about the whole series as a whole is just the care that was given to these characters because, I mean, that's something that's you know lacking in the book a lot of times. And even if they were doing a 70s slasher, like you just said, those characters wouldn't have that kind of fully flushed out realization. And this whole series, I like how they treated these characters like characters and made them feel really real and real situations without putting too much of a you know point like hey you see what we're doing they're lesbians like you know like not like not making a big deal out of it because it's not a big deal and just like making them feel like normal kids with normal issues and normal relationships and friendships and I think it just succeeds so well at doing that and yeah even Alice a character I well I love her that her name's Alice because that's you know one more, yet another nod to Friday the 13th. <laughs> but like, that's a character that wouldn't get that sort of attention in a lot of situations. And I love that they give her that. And yeah, it's it's great. I, I love the characters in this so much. Yeah, they use archetypes really well, which, you know, I think that's all I really ask for in a lot of horror is like, just give me the, like, especially like, you know, slasher type stuff is like, give me good archetypes that, you know, that that have at least one new wrinkle to them. And that's why I think I like the stoner couple because they felt like an evolution of, you know, kind of a classic horror archetype is like, you know, the horny uh, countercultural people, you know, and then, um, and then, uh, but I also loved in 1666, uh, like the slicked back, like mad, what was like mad Thomas? Oh my God. Mad Thomas. (laughs) I was screaming hair. It is face. His teeth are so black. They're barely there. I I love that archetype. Yes, that like like Mad Thomas, and also the the archetype too of everybody all of a sudden believing this guy when he has something to say about like someone's secrets. Yeah, like when he's like, it was like 
Oh, and also classic when they're all saying, I saw – uh uh-huh. Sarah Fear. I saw Sarah Fear, which is very, you know, I saw what is it, Goody Proctor Goody, and yeah. the yep. thing, whatever. Um, but yeah, that fucking guy, Lindsay and I were screaming at how disgusting he was the entire <laughs> time. We were like, we were like, wash your hair. Like, it was so <laughs> why are you listening to this man? You know, Lindsay's like, he has no teeth. <laughs> like <laughs> it was like yeah, he was great. I loved him. Yeah, and that was, I think that was really effective. And they had a lot of those kinds of characters throughout um, 1666 and 78. And even in 94, there were some good archetypal characters too. So I don't know, I feel like it, that can always go a really long way for with me, like in terms of, um, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, establishing a good world, like a horror world that I enjoy. Because it's sometimes it's hard in these kind of movies to, like, get attached to characters. And so archetypes are usually really good in that way. But I will say, like, what I liked, and we mentioned this, was that I, there were surprising moments, like, uh, where you're just kind of like, oh, this friendship actually matters, like, in this world. And, and that's really yeah. cool. But then you also have, like, you know, these, like, dumbos on the side who just get their head cut off and it falls off in a really goofy way, like, on everybody. And, my, and it's kind of the cheap thrills that you also get. Um, yeah, and I guess like I guess like um, wh- when I've been kind of watching the response to these movies, it's been interesting. Um, and I've seen and like I said, like some of the criticism I think that I've seen is that like that they feel and I mentioned I touched on this a little bit, but there's like this talk of them not being like grimy enough and um, like and that there's this like sheen on it and that and I'm and I and they call and they kind of like. I read this one review where it was like, it doesn't like honor the trash origins. And I'm just like, I wouldn't call those like Fear Street trash because, and not in the sense that, you know, I understand the implication to call it trash, but, um, but the thing is, like, that was never really Stein's, like, whole thing. Like he, The characters were, weren't grimy. Right. That, they those weren't grimy. grimy. Yeah, they, they were, were very suburban. And they, they were yeah. aspirational. Yeah. Almost. yeah. They were In aspirational. Fact, the movie's yeah. made shady side grimier than shady side is. In yeah. in the books, only Fear Street is the truly like terrifying part of town. Yeah. Right. And I think the the um, dissonance perhaps come from the idea that these movies are so indebted to slashers and that um, the books themselves, the Fear Street books, were so indebted to slashers, which you could call trash. Like, you know, there's a lot like, you know, there's a whole genre of 70s trash slasher, you know, and like um, and obviously this movie was paying tribute to that. But I think the sheen that some people were resisting, I'm like, that's baked into the Fear Street books like that. Yeah. That's that's what makes them like teen like appealing to teens in a lot of ways i think um and so i feel like i feel like you know for them what's a bug i consider to be a feature uh and i just think that's sort of what makes these things like these movies aren't trying to be like uh copies of you know friday the 13th movies or or any of those it is very much uh trying to be like this modern riff that is um in many ways tailored to the aesthetic of the books, but that draws like honors those inspirations and still gets as gnarly. And just because something has like brutal murders in it, that doesn't mean that it's trash. You know what I mean? Or that it needs to be grimy. Like, because it's, it's like you look at a slasher movie from the seventies and eighties and like, yes, grimy, but then look at an RL Stein fear street cover. Exactly. Exactly. They are bright and clean and like um glamorous right yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah well also i'm confused too at just the criticism of like like well it wasn't it wasn't like grimy which to me is like 
I don't know if things can be different things. Like, I don't understand. Like, <laughs> I don't think of, like, grimy and having sheen to it as, like, one being better than the other. They're just right. different. So, like, it's also, like, a weird thing to, like, put a, like, a stylistic choice. I, I don't know, like, to put a value judgment on, like, whether or not it's clean or grimy. Like, to me, I'm just like, I don't know. That's just different. Like, right. that yeah. did, isn't, it's... But maybe it's because I don't see those books as grimy. So mm-hmm. maybe that's why I'm like, to me, I'm like, it's just a choice. Yeah, I could be you making know? an assumption, but maybe they have not read these books. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking I do, that too, Rachel. I, and I, I do wonder if some of it just has to do with, I think we're all getting just a little tired of the nostalgia kind of throwback yeah. stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and... I think that, especially with the first one, the 90s one, how it felt, you know, it was like super brightly lit and color lighting and, you know, had very stranger things kind of vibes in it. I wonder if part of it is just people getting a little tired of that. So I'm curious to see how they receive, you know, the 1666 one, because yeah. that that does look so different and has so many beautiful shots. And yeah, it does go back to the 90s, but it'll be interesting to see because that one is so different. Yeah, um, like that's one where you can't like, easily point to a bunch of other movies and say oh this is like what it's honoring you know and yeah. uh, because we don't have a lot of 1666 horror movies like there's obviously some but I think that that aspect of it is what feels most to me um, you know uh, redolent of Fear Street and like um, because Stein's done that in a couple of his different series where he's gone back like hundreds of years and that's always to me really cool uh, just because I don't know it's something you don't see too often I, I- I do think too that I mean these books were everywhere these books were like I don't yeah Yeah. I just don't understand that argument because yeah I (laughs) as like a conservative kid like growing up in a you know suburban neighborhood like this sweet you know cool girl across the street had a whole bunch of them and you would see them at the grocery store and so it's like they were it's not like you had to you know horror fans especially like in the 80s and you know 70s and 80s always talk about how hard it was to get stuff and I get that you know the prevalence of materials and physical media and all that and how you know had to get all these bootleg VHS tapes or whatever but these weren't like that no they were everywhere exactly these were everywhere everywhere. they were so mainstream so like there's yeah I was going to Barnes and Noble guys (laughs) (laughs) there's there's nothing grimy or like hard to get about these books there's no like secret like mystique or like oh yeah I I was a big fan because I had to like send away five dollars and wait three weeks to get it in the mail from some somebody I never met like no yeah yeah it's not like they were like that so it feels very bright and mainstream to me and how they filmed it I think is exactly how I was hoping it would be and kind of expected it to be to be honest yeah and they could have gone much farther like they could have been that Riverdale feel where it's like Mm -hmm. everybody is a teen soap opera star and the story is like nobody really dies and the stakes are low and it's more about melodrama than it is about drama right but that's not what and also it's like these books were were inspired by the like more gritty slashers of the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. and like cleaned that up a little bit and then these movies are inspired by the books and so it's gonna be slightly different with each iteration mm-hmm. and also just like you're not working within the like materials of the day like the budget the budget is bigger the people look different they <laughs> style is like an aesthetic has changed like you just it's 
it makes perfect sense to me. I don't know. I hate this person and I never want to meet them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I want to wrap this up by uh, bringing up Christopher Pike again, because um, I don't know if you've heard, but the Midnight Society is being made into a series. Midnight Club. Club. I always say Midnight Society. Uh, um, Is being made into a series with Mike Flanagan. because of Are You Afraid of the Dark? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, which was probably my gateway to Goosebumps, I think. So um, so I'm curious, like, what do you guys hope to see from that? Like, uh, what what Pike-isms do you hope make their way into this show? Like, how can this series honor the books in the way that this is honored, the Fear Street books? I think they've got to be esoteric. I think mm. they have to. I think they have to have both or all three, sex, pulp, and an esoteric exploration of what it means to be human. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's deeply, deeply existential, like why of it all has to permeate everything. And yeah, these characters need to be like, this needs to be sexy, not just have sex (laughs) Mm -hmm. in it. Like this needs to be a sexy because those books were like, I remember feeling so titillated reading those books. Oh yeah. And like, like there was like a line, I'm sure I've talked about it before, but there's like a line in Scavenger Club or Scavenger Hunt that I was like, oh my God. <laughs> when I read, because it was like she was in a black bottom pool and a very tan bottom was also, like he could also see a very tan bottom. And so it was like her being naked in the pool. Yeah, yeah. And I remember just being like, oh my God, there's a butt. It's like, <laughs> out. It's like people can see it. And like people were legit like, having sex in these books Mm -hmm. and it wasn't fade to black it was like no 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 it wasn't like oh and then they tumbled into the darkness it was like (laughs) we were gonna be there through the whole thing which was like monster the main character loses her virginity to a football player who is in fact a an alien vampire vulture (laughs) and they have sex in a lake and they're like biting each other and drinking each other's blood it's fucking wild that. yeah and really so i hope sexy, that there yeah. is a wildness to the series and not just moody teens because with midnight club it is such a like you know they're they're very morose teens and yeah. um they're sitting around the hospice telling scary stories at night or like violent stories at night and so i think it would be very easy to only explore the moody like tragedy mm-hmm. of it but i think that i'm really hoping that mike flanagan brings out the wildness and the mm-hmm. like trippy philosophical exploration of christopher pike books yeah yeah and there's also like a lot of those characters and I, this is a little bit last vampire-y but like i hope that there is you know characters that change or whatever right like either like become lizard aliens or whatever or Mm -hmm. vampires or whatever and become so nihilistic with the idea of existence because like what does it even mean anymore anyway if like you are human one second and you're something completely different the next and like your life is different than what anybody else will experience like i that those were ideas that were like very like I would finish those books and then be like, did you know we live in a society and like feel very <laughs> like like you know I was like oh I'm like so edgy now like I like I have all these thoughts about existence <laughs> and I want that to be happening in the 
in this show and also have, you know, like super gore and like scary yeah. and all that. Yeah. Cool. Um, if there was another, if they do want to make more Fear Streets and this becomes sort of a banner at Netflix, are there any books in particular that you think would be uh, cool to uh, see be adapted into a movie? Cheerleaders. Yes. Yeah. I, was <laughs> I knew cheerleaders. it. I was going to say that's, that uh, has to be it, right? <laughs> somebody on Twitter said that they were hoping that this uh, results in a, an adaptation of the Silent Night trilogy. Hell yeah. I think that would be another good one. Um, okay, I, I also don't think... think you can do the saga now. No, because the no. lore is now set it's, for the movies. It's set. But I think Lindsay and I need to be able to adapt. Um, was it which? What's the Moosehead one? Oh, uh, Blind Date. Blind Date. <laughs> That's a point horror, but is it, it? the Damn. end is <laughs> fucking crazy? Yeah, it's like basically uh, this guy, and it's also in the POV of a guy. So we have a final boy, which is yeah. like you know not as common. But he's, like, dating this girl and, like, scary things are happening. turns out she's, like, evil. And the way that she, like, manifests her, like, evil villain monologue is she takes him to a cabin, ties him up, pulls a stuffed moose head off of the wall and stuffs it onto his head and just, like, beats the shit out of him through the moose head (laughs) while being like, and you thought it was me? Like, where it's top. I I want us to be able to adapt that. I would die. Amazing. Uh, Rachel, any any books come to mind for you? I was going to say the cheerleaders or um, I mean, wrong number, I think would be if but I mean, that's not like a saga necessarily. But but then again, I don't know, maybe they could do something cool with it. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a trilogy. Yeah, yeah, it would be cool. I do. I do think it would be really cool to get, you know, one of these every year or something. And Mm -hmm. just but and I think they leave the door open for it. So yeah, and I think it would Uh, also be really cool if let me write some of them <laughs> also yeah. if they do another one though they better have it set on fear street because that was the Ooh, only that we were screaming the only, about that only we were screaming about that it was like nobody said fear street once does fear street <laughs> even we were exist like, where's fear street is it there I feel Is like I need to watch there? it again because it's like, did they like pan over? Oh, over a street sign. Like, it was like a sign. Did <laughs> I miss this? But I don't but think like, I did. Nobody but... says Fear Street. Does it exist? Maybe they build it now. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but... One last question: How did you feel about R.L. Stein's books existing within the world of <gasps> Fear it. Street, but with a different? <laughs> what was his name again? Like, Robert Lawrence. Robert that Lawrence. Is, Robert Lawrence. That's his real name, right? Yeah, R.L. Yeah. Robert, Lawrence, Robert Stein. Lawrence Stein. That that was very funny, and I thought it was I thought it was clever and cheeky. Like, and I, I think seeing the covers, which I think for anybody who grew up reading those books, like is like instantly transportive, and and yeah. those covers are iconic in their own way. I think seeing them within the realm of it, I think I kind of rolled my eyes at first, but then I was like, no, I kind of love this. Like, I love seeing like those uh, book covers like in this world. I think that's sort of like it's it's anticipatory it creates sort of um and it gives it a vibrancy i think that's really that's and really I, fun i think it brings a little of the campiness yep. that yes. i think overall yes. the story didn't have mm-hmm. which i again like i loved the story i think they did a great job but so that you get like these like flashes of like cheesier campier things i think it helps it helps make it fear streetier yeah. Um, but th- like I said, I stood up and like fucking screamed when Dina reveals at the end that the reason that um, Sheriff Good didn't kill her is because she had strapped Fear Street books to her fucking chest. <laughs> I was like, yes. Ah! 
<laughs> so well, also, I, stood, I also, jumped up and down. I was like, yes. <laughs> well, also, and then that, right? So that is foreshadowed by yes. uh, the girl at the very beginning blocking uh, yeah, the yeah. fake ghost face's uh, stab with the Fear Street book. Mm-hmm. And that's like something that was like funny enough and enough of a like important to that character in that moment to not just be like, here's an Easter egg. Cause then I forgot. Yeah. And then when Dina like shows that, I was like, Oh, holy shit. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. It was, a, also, but it, was, it was great. I love that it was uh, the cheerleader series that at least Heather protected herself with. I forget what it was because the, the movies pulled the most, I think from the saga in, in that it was like, Sarah Fear being hung as a witch and um but also the cheerleader series because what happens in the cheerleader series is they are on their way back from a game or maybe a cheerleading competition and it's like one of the few books where uh Robert Lawrence Stein seems to respect the teenage girls in his books which we have talked about (laughs) enjoying um and they're on their way back and they get in an accident and one of the girls goes flying off the bus and hits Sarah Fear's grave and gets possessed nice. by, or maybe it's not Sarah. No, I think her name is Sarah Fear because in in the Fear Street saga, the, the person who gets like hung is Susanna Good. So they took the name Sarah Fear, I think from the cheerleader series, possessing one of the cheerleaders, Sam, in the movies as ghost who like died unfairly um and then she's just like taking her revenge so they took the, uh, quite a bit from the cheerleader series so the fact that like heather blocks a knife with the, cheer- the first evil so good just 10 That's out of funny. 10 yeah love it chef's kiss yes <laughs> well this was so fun thank you guys so much for chatting uh about fear street and all things uh rl stein um where can we find we can find the pod you know anywhere there's pods teen creeps mm-hmm. check it out it's very good and uh but you guys individually where can people find you and see your work i am on twitter at Lindsay Katai, l-i-n-d-s-a-y-k-a-t-a-i um i'm on instagram too but i don't really use it um and uh, you can check out the uh, Cartoon Network show I wrote on, Infinity Train. It is streaming on HBO Max. Uh, the fourth and final season has already been released, but um, just really proud of the show, so please check it out. Yeah, thanks. Kelly? Um, you can find me on all social media at Kelly Nugee, K-E-L-L-Y-N-U-G-E-E. Um, hey, if you like horror, um, I wrote and performed and produced and mixed uh, – a narrative horror podcast called Exile. Um, it's limited series. It's six episodes long. Check check it out if you if you like. Um, I don't know spooky scaries. If you liked 1666, for sure you will like Exile. Nice. Yeah. Ooh, very yeah. cool. Nice. Rachel, how about you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at Vinyl Girl G R R R L. You can find me there. Cool. Awesome. And you can find me at Randall Colburn on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Check things out. Uh, we've got, um, I think, uh, yeah, our third part of our audio Castle Rock audio drama is dropping next week. Check that out. We've also wrapped, we're also wrapping up our Lisey Story uh Uh, TV show coverage and we're gearing up for the release of Billy Summers which comes out in August we're going to have a book episode on that that's going to be out in mid-August so stay tuned for that and uh, we'll see you all later 
This has been a bloody disgusting show. Thanks for tuning in. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>